Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are now on the second Sunday of Lent, the season that traditionally involves spiritual practices of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, so that we are mindful of those in need and of our own need for help in ways that we may have strayed from God's good path and that we simply acknowledge our need for repentance, that is to turn around, to change, to come back. And there's no limit to God's patience with us, acceptance of us, and delight every time we come back. So may we keep repenting every day together. When I thought about the title for our sermon today, I thought about it in light of the question Becky just asked us to reflect upon as we listen to the gospel. What are some emotions we imagine Jesus might be feeling. And I have to say, joy was not one that came to mind. This is one part of the gospel where I don't feel it or see it. And I thought the word gospel means good news or glad tidings of great joy. And this is the message that Jesus brings about God's realm and the message that you and I are called to tell the world about. So together, we get to look into the word to discover the joy. We journey with Jesus as disciples, and specifically now, in this part of his life, we journey with him as he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that he was determined to go. He had been ministering all over Galilee, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, showing and telling all about what God's realm looks like, a realm of love and peace and justice for everyone, a realm of radical inclusion of all. And many have accepted God's path through the teaching and life of Jesus. Many became his faithful disciples, following him wherever he went and being sent out themselves to heal the sick, raise the dead, and preach. But many are resistant Ever since the day he began his public ministry, after those 40 days in the wilderness, when he headed to Nazareth, his hometown, went into the synagogue there and began proclaiming God's good news, it was not good news to everyone, for he spoke as the prophet Isaiah did about God's realm of counterculture, a realm that called everyone to change, to change their lives. And many did not want that, so they schemed already to get rid of Jesus. And now he's headed for Jerusalem, and by this point he has discerned that he will surely suffer more hardship and probably some great suffering there. Religious leaders are warning him already that King Herod wants to kill him. This is the same king that beheaded John the Baptist, another prophet. Yet Jesus is resolute says, tell Herod, I don't care. I'm going to keep going. I've got God's work to do. And with fierce resolve, he goes. 
And we might think, sure, he was Jesus. He could keep going no matter what. He had the fullness of God in ways the world had maybe not yet tasted at that time. But he was fully human, just like us, subject to temptation as we saw in his 40 days in the desert. He was subject to despair and doubt as we will see in his darkest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane. His path as God's chosen one to bring the message of God to the world was fraught with challenge. And yet he keeps going. And if we look back a few chapters in Luke's Gospel, I believe we find what I might call the hinge upon which Jesus' whole life and faith depends upon. In chapter 3, we learn of the day that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist. Two verses tell everything. Luke writes, When Jesus had been baptized and was in prayer, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven that said, You are my Son, the Beloved, and with you I am very pleased. Friends, we know Jesus knew in that moment, beyond doubt, that he was loved. The assurance of this surely bolstered his faith and his resolve for the work that God had for him, gave him courage to remain obedient to that hard yet jubilant path, gave him courage to keep going despite the suffering that he would undergo very soon. Because Jesus knew he was loved, he could therefore love everyone he met and show compassion especially to those on the margins who he always got closest to, the sick, the dying, the sinners, the outcasts. And to get close to Jesus was to know healing and new life. Because he had love inside of himself, he had love to give away, even to his enemies. He knew that they could not see or did not remember that they too were his brothers and sisters. They too were beloved by God. But they didn't know it, or maybe they were taught something different about the God of the universe. And we see in the gospel story for today how Jesus laments with great sorrow for the citizens of Jerusalem, for those who had not yet the capacity to own their own truth of their belovedness. We see Jesus' sadness as he so longs to gather them up like a mother hen, to put them under the wings of God, to guard them and protect them. But some just did not wish to be gathered. And because of love, he hurt for them. Because of them, and even those who would eventually come to hurt him, he kept going with the message of God's good news. Henry Nouwen, the Christian mystic and theologian, writes about Jesus' baptism enlightenment experience. Because Jesus knew he would love, he could say to the devil in the wilderness, I don't have to prove anything to you about any power I might have, any status I might wish the world that the world offers me. 
I know that God will feed me what I need because I'm beloved. And because he knew that, he lived well and he could also die well because he knew he was returning to his source. And once he returned to God after his earthly journey, he knew he could then send his spirit to all of us that we might live better and more generously and more joyfully and freely. But Jesus had to cultivate this love. The Gospels say he was always going off to pray, often by himself, sometimes taking his disciples, but always, regularly, he would find time to get quiet and be still and listen and converse to see who God would like him to be. And we also need to cultivate our belovedness If we don't, we may not lead with love, but with fear, for the world has plenty of that to hand over to us. We experienced some of the results of that this past week. When humans go to the extremes of what we saw in New Zealand on Friday against the people in the mosques, When someone has so lack of love to direct such hate and deadly violence against others for the color of their skin or how they choose to worship and practice their faith, we cannot know all the causes of the woundedness that led the perpetrator to those acts. But we can say for certain it was not fueled by love. We project out into the world who we believe we are. Last year during Lent, I was given a prayer on my own journey of growing in love that simply said, God, help me love myself so I can die to myself. And by that I mean so I could give myself away like Jesus teaches us how to do. The world gives us a path of ascent and tells us to climb and seek and grab and consume and gather up. Jesus teaches a way of descent to put aside all the worldly goods and things we think we need that we might not be burdened, but just be free to be with one another in mutual love with God. We cannot give away what we do not have. If we have self-loathing or lack of self-acceptance, how can we expect to carry out or give away anything but that onto others? I've tried it, and I can't do it very well. Also this past week, we saw the extent that humans can go for greed and to be at the top for them or their children We cannot know what fear or all the motivations of the privileged citizens we heard about, who even though with all the world's wealth and power and privilege, who still want more because all of that is never enough, and who went to lying and cheating to secure for their children something they were sure their children needed in the top schools in our country. 
I believe we all might be able to relate to this to some degree, if we're honest. When we, like we prayed in our prayer of confession, have the fear of losing something we have or fear not getting something we deserve or think we do or think we need. So we take control. And then I think my will is better than God's and it's certainly faster than God's at times. Practices of contemplation, of getting quiet with God, will allow us to have God tell us what's true, for the world will give us plenty of lies. And we may wonder, how can we do that when our lives are so full and busy and our households are full of people, little ones and old ones and people we care for in our neighborhood and our family across the country? And we have jobs. How do we do it all and still be with God? And it doesn't take much. We start small. Maybe you lock yourself in your bathroom for two minutes and simply say, God, tell me who you are and tell me who I am. Or maybe on your drive to the grocery or to work or to school or in between soccer matches, you turn off the radio and say, God, here I am. Show me your love. Who would you have me be? Or you plug in any two to 20 minute long guided meditation that's so easy to access on our phones, on the internet, and you simply allow yourself to be led into God's presence. All of this serves to build us up in ways that we cannot know but that are true. Jesus knew he was loved. And do we know that for ourselves? Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Henry Nouwen writes and reminds us this, that if we dare to believe that we are loved by God no matter what, we may suddenly realize that our lives are very, very special and that we are sent here for a short time, a few years, for some a few days, maybe 40 years or 90 or 100. The length of our earthly life does not matter, he reminds us, for we are sent here as God's beloved and chosen. We are sent here to help our sisters and brothers that they might also know that they belong to God and are loved. We are sent here to be people of reconciliation, to be prophetic people who, with God's guidance and courage, speak truth to power, truth to the oppression of centuries of white supremacy that we just cannot deny anymore, truth to the power that keep the poor poor and sick and powerless, and also to humbly speak truth to ourselves, to acknowledge how we have contributed to the ills of others and to creation. And Henry Nouwen reminds that we're here to break down the walls between you and your neighbors, locally, nationally, globally. Before all the distinctions and separations and the walls built on foundations of fear even existed, There was unity in God's mind and heart and plans. 
And we're sent here to claim that unity, that we all belong together. All ages and tribes and ethnicities and colors, all mental and physical capacities. We're all meant to live in harmony in God's kingdom as one family now and forever. So we cultivate our belovedness in contemplation, but it doesn't end there. It grows by leaps and bounds when we put it into action. God's love is an action verb. At the next church conference last week where Adam and I were, we heard stories of how God is on the move in congregations. And one church shared how every Sunday during worship, as soon as they have the call to worship, in their bulletin is a title line that says, Seeking the Shalom of the City. And by shalom, we mean God's wholeness. So they pause every Sunday and lift up how they have experienced in the past week God working through them as a body of Christ, the church, God working through them within their community and beyond the walls and into their city in the world. For this is a congregation committed to the path of Jesus, to work for social justice, to be advocates for the least of those who cannot advocate for themselves, and to love no matter what. And we do that here at Knox in in various ways as well. Whenever we have a minute for mission, or during our prayers, or even sermons, when we lift up projects we have done together, It could be at your committee meeting here at church or when you're serving on a mission project or the deacon and session meetings, a pause to share with one another how did you see God at work in someone else to you or through you for for someone else. We have storytelling. We tell of the story of God's working through this church on Facebook, through emails, our website, Hopefully not for self-promotion or our own preservation, but to really give glory to God for how we are serving as the only feet and hands God has in this world. Seeking the shalom of the city looks like when the women's fellowship group fills blessing bags as they did last week to help those who come to Knox Church asking for help because they are hungry. And this bag has food for them. It looks like gathering this Wednesday during Lent as a study group or a faith formation, a Sunday school, to be nurtured in our understanding of God that we might go and tell others who God is. It means journeying with our homeless brothers and sisters during interfaith hospitality weeks here. It means making meals and taking them to the shut-ins or Third Presbyterian Church. It means forging new partnerships, like with Cranston Memorial Presbyterian, and how together we hope to serve the needy in New Richmond. It means showing up for the funerals of your fellow Knox members or your friends, when the family members so need your presence to know they are not forgotten. It means helping your neighbor who can't quite manage the garbage cans anymore. It means hosting coffee and conversation here at church and showing up to meet someone new or allow yourself to be met 
It means simply helping someone cross the street. And it means wherever we find fear that lends to hatred and oppression, that we meet it boldly with God's truth and God's love, which heals everything. This love is streaming in our veins, whether we're aware of it or not, this love of God. And I invite you to pause with me now just for a moment. I invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. And consider this, that Jesus came to share his identity with you as one beloved by God. Try to enter this enormous mystery that before you were born, you were loved. Before your father, your mother, your brother or sister or the church ever loved you or hurt you, you were loved. God loves you now and after you die. Can you take in another teaspoon of this truth right now? And can you think of one thing you can do today to give away this love and show compassion to another that they might be able to take in another teaspoonful of their own belovedness? Friends, we follow Jesus. And on this journey, as he's in Jerusalem, we will follow him all the way to his cross. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we may wish to say, Really, Jesus? Take your yoke, the cross, death? Are you saying the cross is light and that death is easy? But Jesus says, trust me. I come from God who loves us all. I desire your company on the way and I need it too. Jesus knows we need his company. But when he does go to the cross, he does not leave us alone on that hill of sorrows and death, for Easter is coming, and he takes us beyond this life too, to a new one. And in his resurrection, we experience new life here and now. And Jesus, like a loving mother, says, I will not leave you orphaned. Where I am, there you will be also. I am coming that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. Thanks be to God for the joy of the gospel. Amen.